The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Everyone's favorite Freemason strikes again with Cinema Symbolism 3. The Mysteries of Occult Hollywood Unveiled. Applying his expert and objective observations. Robert W. Sullivan IV, Esquire, analyzes a new state of movies, revealing Tinseltown's esoteric and dark secrets. From Gnosticism to Freemasonry, to Black Magic and Kabbalah, no rock is left unturned. Listeners beware. Listeners beware. This fish is not for everyone, because sometimes, truth is stranger than fiction. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy, MMS, EMP shield, solar, and EMP protection, rebounders, CBD pure hemp oil, pure organic sulfur, flash drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrich. Robert W. Sullivan IV, Esquire, is a historian, philosopher, antiquarian, jurist, lay theologian, writer, mystic, radio TV personality, showman, best-selling author, CEO, and lawyer. He is the author of five books, The Royal Ark of Enoch, Cinema Symbolism 1, 2, and 3, and A Pact with the Devil. The latter is a work of fiction. Robert Sullivan is a Freemason of Amicable St. John's Lodge No. 25 and a 32nd degree of the Scottish Rite, Valley of Baltimore, Orient of Maryland. Then he joins us once again. Hello, Robert, and welcome back to Veritas. Well, thank you, Mel. Thank you for having me on uh, Veritas. It's my pleasure to be here, and I'm looking forward to uh, this evening's conversation. Likewise, and as, as a lot of my listeners know, for the past, I would say, almost two years, we have been discussing a lot of you know, the pandemic and, 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 and perhaps people feel a little bit down, but it's time for us to escape and go back to our more traditional topic. Of course, we're going to continue discussing what matters and the and geopolitical arena, but sometimes I want to escape and discuss what we were here to do at the very beginning, which discuss the occult, uh, discuss uh, Freemasonry, these things that are hidden from us. But I'm going to ask you a question first that might make you uncomfortable, Robert. I'm sure you won't take it that way, but I'm sure you know why I'm asking. You are a Freemason, correct? Yes, sir. I may have asked you this before, but I'd like to recap. A lot of people might be asking themselves, you know, Mel, how can we trust what Robert tells us in his books? Great books, by the way, and I've read all of them except for the, the, the newest one, which I still have here. How can we trust somebody who belongs to a secret society where there are rules where you're not supposed to disclose everything, right? How do we know that what you're telling us is true? And I mean no disrespect with that question. 
No, I understand. I think that's I think the question answers itself. I think that's for the exact reason why you should believe me is because I do have an inside track with it. I am a Freemason. I have a deep understanding of the rituals and the symbols. Um, I the, the book, the first book I wrote, which is about what I would call esoteric or occult Freemasonry, um, I think divulges much. I, I have never had anyone read it and think that I was presenting misinformation. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't waste anyone's time with that. Um, I present the material as I know it to be true and ha- as it works. Um, there's certainly a lot of you know bogus information out there that I do kind of um, scratch my head at and wonder, you know, how, how did that ever get out there? Um, but, um, you know, I have never, ever shied away from my Masonic membership, and I certainly would not hide behind it or anything like that. I think that would be that, that would discredit me. So, um, you know, right off the bat, when I first started podcasting, which has now been good grief going on eight years, I believe it has. I mean, I, I've always disclosed that I'm a Freemason. Um, I, I probably the all the books probably have a certain Masonic bent to them. Um, and uh, the way I look at it, Mel, is if, if a person doesn't want to listen to me or doesn't want to read the book because of that, that's completely up to them. Um, but I know that the books, um, especially when it comes to Masonic symbolism, Masonic history, I mean, at some points, you know, anything else, you do speculate a little bit. You have to. Um, because some some stuff we just don't have 100 percent information on, um, you know, and we're forced to speculate, like, you know, how old is Freemasonry? I mean, we could debate that for hours. Um, but the material presented in the book um, is, is certainly based on my um, knowledge and understanding of Freemasonry. And um, I would not waste anyone's time, let alone mine, um, presenting misinformation or disinformation or anything like that. If If there was something I was skeptical on or wasn't sure about. I would not include it within my book. That's fair. And I really appreciate the candor. And I've interviewed you several times. Had I suspected that you were not telling us the truth or at least what we perceive to be the truth, our interview number one would have been the last one. But this is probably your fourth one, I believe. Yes, sir. This is, uh, I believe, I've been on for Royal Arch of Enoch, Cinema Symbolism 1, 2. So, yeah, this will be the fourth interview. That's right. That's right. So, obviously... Now, when it comes to, if I can use the term club, the private club for Freemasonry, who can belong to it? I mean, we'll discuss the movies and so on shortly, but I just want to get into this because this is an area of expertise that not a lot of people have. Who can belong and how can people apply? Sure. No, I have, I have no problem answering these questions. Um, um, the, the, to, in order to join a Masonic lodge, you have to be a male. Um, women cannot join. Um, I know that there are exceptions to this in Europe, um, but Masonic lodges in the United States are exclusively male. Um, you have to be at a certain age, um, and the age varies. Um, if your father is a Freemason, I believe, I believe, and some states vary on this also. I, I, I should point that out, um, and this is a source of endless confusion. There is no uniform United States edict when it comes to Freemasonry. Each state operates on its own. Um, each state is beholden to a grand lodge of its state. So, for example, during your introduction, you said I'm in Baltimore, Maryland. So I am beholden to the Grand Lodge of Maryland. The Grand Lodge of Maryland's rules may differ a little bit from the Grand Lodge of New York or Boston or Massachusetts, let's say, or uh, Wyoming or Virginia. Um, so so it's a state by state run organization and the rules vary. Um, in Maryland, you have to be if your father is a Freemason, you can join at 18 years old. If your father is not a Freemason, I believe it's 21 you have to wait to. Um, 
any mail can join. Um, you petition a lodge. The way that usually works is you know someone who is a Freemason and you just simply speak to them. And, you know, like, for example, um, the way I joined was I had a mutual friend through my parents who was a Freemason and he wore the jewelry. He wore a ring. And I, my father was not a Freemason, but my grandfathers were. They're deceased. So I asked him, I said, hey, I see you're a Freemason. I recognize the ring. I recognize the emblem on the ring, you know, the square encompasses. Um, I'd like to join. Um, and this was in the summer of 1996. And he asked me a few questions and he could see I was serious about it. Um, and and the, bar, the ball started rolling based on that. Um, the next thing I knew, about two weeks later, I got a petition in the mail. I filled it out. I mailed in a check. At, at the time, I believe it was for $100. Um, that, this was 25 years ago, so I'm sure it's gone up by now. And uh, the way I went through it was um, they set up a, um, a, a committee um, on me. It, it, it comprised of three brothers in the lodge, um, and they interviewed me. Um, they just wanted to make sure basically I was a head, a torso, two arms, two legs, um, you know, just was a normal functioning person. They will ask you um, to make sure, you know, you, you cannot be committed a crime of moral turpitude. They don't care about speeding tickets, um, but nothing, you know, serious. And um, two of the interviews I did over the phone, the third I met with the brother in, in person. Um, and after that, the, the next thing I was advised was, of course, I'm not going to the lodge or anything. I mean, I'm, I'm just applying. Um, the guy I knew was calling me and just giving me updates. And the next thing I knew, he said, the, your, your petition will be voted upon. Um, and he said, that's coming up. And then it was voted upon. And I received a, a phone call the next day and said it was approved. Um, and that I would be in contact with, I'd be contacted by one of the um, lodge officers, which I believe was the secretary, and a date would be arranged um, during one of the lodge meetings where I'd come up and receive the entered apprentice degree, which is the first one, um, which for me occurred in January of 1997. Um, so that's how I joined. Um, if you know somebody who's a Mason, ask them. Um, ask them about membership, and if they are genuine, they should oblige you. If you do not know anyone who is a Freemason and you want to join, my I've been asked this question numerous times. My advice to that person would be, um, depending on what state you are in, so let's just hypothetically say, let's just go with the state of New York. Um, if you are in the state of New York and you want to join a Masonic Lodge and you do not know anyone who is a Freemason, um, contact the New York Grand Lodge. Um, they will have a website inevitably. They will have a phone number, probably to a secretary. Call them and and explain to them as the way I said it, you know, Hey, I'm so-and-so I'm living in New York. Um, I, you know, they'll probably want your phone number and address, probably an email at this point in time. And, um, you know, what, what they will do, um, is they will match your address with the local Masonic lodge that is closest to you. And at that point in time, um, if you are interested, they should put you in contact with the secretary of the lodge closest to you, to your home address. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the ball will start rolling and you'll get a you'll, you'll probably get a phone call from the secretary of this local Blue Lodge and you'll, you'll get a petition in the mail and the ball will start rolling. You'll fill it out, send it in with a check and uh, a committee will be sent out and you'll be set up, excuse me, and you'll be on your way. So that's traditionally how one joins a Masonic Lodge in the United States. These are all important questions that I've always had. And I don't know why I didn't discuss them with you, but I'm sure a lot of people ask themselves, you know, who can join, which you just answered. What is the purpose of Freemasonry? That's a great question. Um, and again, there's no, the, the answer to that question is subjective. I can only give it to you from my point of view. 
Um, uh, you may ask 10 other Freemasons and they're going to give you a, a different answer. Um, there are many reasons why a person joins a Masonic lodge. They may want to carry on a family tradition as, as I did when I, when I joined, um, I come from a long line of Maryland Freemasons, So that was sort of my motivation for joining. Um, people enjoy fraternal organizations. I was a member of a fraternity, fraternity house in college. And, um, some people want to continue that on. Obviously when they leave college, <clears throat> um, they still want to be part of a fraternity. So masonry or odd fellows, um, would be the likely um, organization to join. People join to do ph philanthropy, um, charitable work. Um, people join for the camaraderie. camaraderie. Um, I joined it to carry on a kind of family tradition. And through my membership, I became very interested in, I, I, I was always interested in mysticism and uh, the esoteric and things like that. So becoming a, a, a member in, in my lodge, which was Amicable St. John's Lodge Number 25, um, I, I'm going through the rituals and understanding the symbolism and, and being hands-on with it. Um, it really sort of opened my eyes and was sort of, you know, I, I've said this on numerous interviews. I've probably have said it on one of my past ones with you, Mel. Um, it's really because of my Masonic training in part that I believe I am able to do this so well and decode movies esoterically and, and see symbolism, uh, and things of that nature. I mean, I, I owe that to my Masonic membership. Again, it wasn't, I mean, I didn't join my Masonic life thinking, oh, I'm going to get a primer in esoteric symbolism. It just kind of evolved out of it. But um, certainly if, if you if you go through the Masonic rituals um, and you really take the time, and that's the key words, take the time to read, um, you know, some of the Masonic greats, you know, like Manly P. Hall, Albert Mackey, Albert Pike, who get into the sort of deeper symbolism of the rituals and the symbols. Um, in my opinion, it opens up a treasure trove. Um, and you'll really be able to decode and see things on an esoteric level that that previously you will not be able to see. So um, that that also seems to be a motivation now, at least with the younger generation. Um, certainly there, there seems to be a renewed, at least at least in my opinion, a renewed interest in what I would call the esoteric side of the craft. And m many, many young people now are joining it for that reason. And probably the Internet movies like National Treasure and the Da Vinci Code and things like that are probably somewhat responsible for it, but there is definitely a revived interest in what I would call the esoteric or occult side of the craft, as it were. I've been told, Robert, that the majority of all the astronauts that the allegedly walked on the moon, and I say allegedly, my listeners know why I say that, but uh, Neil Armstrong was not a Freemason. However, his father was. Does that make him a Freemason? No. Um, just having a family member um, in a Masonic lodge does not make someone else a Freemason. Um, there are numerous other Masonic orders that people can belong to that do not make them Freemasons. Um, there's a women, a woman's auxiliary organization called the Eastern Star, um, which is sort of like a just that it's a Masonic woman's organization, but a women that does not a Freemason make. Um, they can call themselves Sisters of the Eastern Star, but they can't call themselves female Freemasons. Likewise, there is a Masonic Boy Scouts organization known as Demolay. Um, and you can join that. And a lot of people who it's, it's, who do join that go on to become Freemasons. But if you join Demolay and you stop and you don't go any further, and once your membership, you know, you leave Demolay, you don't go any further, you are still not a Freemason. This is the case of uh, case in point of Walt Disney. 
um, Walt Disney was a member of the Molay, but never joined a Masonic Lodge. So you can't hold him out as a Freemason. You can certainly hold him out as a member of Molay, um, but you cannot hold him out as a Freemason. And likewise, same thing with Neil Armstrong. Um, if his father was a Freemason, that's fine, but that certainly does not make him a Freemason. And you mentioned how there are no female Freemasons. I remember I had a conversation with Dr. Cecile Rivager from, Fran- from Southern France, a female. She bro- wrote a book titled Black Freemasonry. And I believe, if I remember correctly, she said that there are some Freem- female Freemasons and lodges in Europe. Is that true? Yes, there, there are um, lodges of female Freemasons in Europe, um, but this, this is controversial. Um, some are recognized, some are not. Um, they are not recognized in the United States. If you were a woman um, in a lodge of Freemasons in France, let's say, and you came to the United States, you certainly could not come into a lodge in the United States. Um, and again, it, it comes down to recognition. Like, like for example, I mean, if, if a group of women wanted to meet um, in the United States and got a Masonic ritual book with the rituals and certainly put on Masonic aprons or whatever, I mean, they could call themselves, you know, a lodge of Freemasons, but they certainly wouldn't be recognized by the state grand lodge or anything like that, which is, I believe, all important. So it's a question of legitimacy. Um, you know, there, there are, you know, women can form Masonic lodges, but they're kind of, they're they're what you call in the United States clandestine lodges. Um, and they're not recognized. Um, so, um, there, there are, there, there have been movements underway, um, in the last 10 to 15 years to try to get this more and more recognized and to get it in, but it, it really ultimately falls flat on its face. It never really seems to go anywhere. Um, and certainly in the United States, there are no lodges, of women Freemasons. And if there are, they're certainly not recognized by any of the state grand lodges. Let me read this, just a quick excerpt from the synopsis from Dr. Reverger's interview with me. When the first Masonic lodges opened in Paris in the early 18th century, their membership included traders, merchants, musketeers, clergymen, and women, both white and black. This was not the case in the United States where black Freemasons were not eligible for membership in existing lodges. For this reason, the first official charter for an exclusively black lodge, the Prince Hall Grand Lodge of Massachusetts, was granted by the Grand Lodge of England rather than any American chapter. Now, why why is it that it's allowed in other parts of the world, but not in the United States? Well, the the, the Prince Hall Lodges have subsequently been recognized. Uh, I am not an expert on Grand Lodge Freemasonry in France, so... Um, you know, why certain lot, like I said, it's, it, it runs by a state by state jurisdiction, a country by country, um, thing, why they would do that. I mean, uh, you know, in the early days of Freemasonry, a lot of this, this was unauthorized. I mean, there, there was no, it's not like it is today where there was no real network. Lodges were just popping up on local levels. Um, and certainly within England, um, there, they, they didn't have, um, no, no lodge in England had women in it. Um, the, the France uh, experiment, um, you are into a whole controversial um, thing when you get into European continental Freemasonry. Some things are recognized. Some things are not recognized. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a very, very complex um, thing. So, you know, the, some lodges take their orders from the Grand Lodge of France, but not from the Grand Lodge of England, which, you know, claims to have, you know, be the you know, official body for issuing all the charters. The Grand Lodge 
in in Massachusetts did not recognize the Prince Hall lodges at first. They have now because one of the requirements back. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.